Well, good morning and welcome to worship at First Baptist Church, Sun City West. Thank you, ladies. It's good to have the bell choir back. It's been a long, long time since they've been here, so thank you, Nancy, for that. Um, obviously, I'm not the pastor. Pastor and his wife are out of town today, and so I've been asked to fill in. I'm Ron Horniker, the Ministry of Counseling, part-time staff here at the church. So I greet you today, those who are regular attenders. And those of you who are visiting with us, if you have not done so before, or if this is your first time, there is a visitor's card in the pew and rack in front of you. If you would honor us by taking the time to fill that out with some information, we can give you a more formal word of greeting later on this week. So thank you for being here. We're here to worship the psalmist tells us, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the flock under His care. As we continue to worship, will you pray with me before we sing? Father, indeed, we have come to this place to seek You, to meet You, to hear You speak, so I pray that you would cause us to be attentive to the presence of your Spirit. Use this time together as a way of honoring you, and may needs that people bring with them be met as your Spirit ministers. Use this time as we seek to glorify you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. One of the most beautiful worship hymns ever written, How Great Thou Art. Would you stand as we sing together?
enough hope, love, and joy for all of us and for all the world. In this very room, there's quite enough love for one like me. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for one like me. And there's quite enough with me, please. Almighty God, Lord and Savior, let us be at the Sabbath day and the opportunity to come and worship you. Would you bless us beyond measure in so many ways? Would you touch our church family and make each of us each have had things going on in our life, Lord, whether it be physical or spiritual or mental, emotional, and hopefully make us just oh, so grateful for that. Lord, the world still has a lot of health and sick, and I'm so grateful for the missionaries that you have sent out to spread your light, spread your love. Lord, I just ask that you would keep them safe and provide for their needs. Lord, I ask that you would be with Pastor Kennedy and Debbie, Debbie as they're traveling, and just keep them safe and bring them back rested. I'm so grateful for Dr. Horniker today that he's able to bring the message, and I pray that your words will come forth and, Lord, just penetrate our hearts and change us. Will you choose, please just walk beside us as we 
suffered through life and maybe the path that you have designated for us, may it be clear to us, Lord, that we are walking in your way. We ask that you would just help us, just help us at Church Family and to each of us, our own families, Lord, as we move through these days to have status in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true. I hope that is your prayer this morning.
Our scripture reading this morning is selected passages from both the Old and New Testament under the theme of Consider Your Words. I'm asking that we read it responsively so you follow along with the insert in your bulletin or what you see on the screen. A word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessings you have your call so that you may inherit the blessing. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. These are the words of the Lord.
you really listen to those words, that's a powerful prayer. Thank you, Nancy. Does this sound familiar? Sticks and stones may break your bones, but words can never hurt you. Well, you know what? That's not true. <laughs> words can hurt. Words do have power. Words can bring about great good, or they can result in great hurt and great harm. Currently, it seems to me we are drowning in a sea of words. Words that criticize and ridicule. Words that demean and label other persons with derogatory names. Words that are self-serving and often untrue. Words that tend to mislead, misinform, and manipulate. Words, words, words. All these types of words have a negative effect on our society as a whole and upon us as individuals. My concern is the impact this environment we find ourselves in can have on us as individual believers and potentially upon us corporately as a church. So this morning I want to focus on some of what the scriptures have to say as to how we as believers are to use our words. How we're to speak to, with, and about one another and others. I think the scriptures in the responsive reading have already pointed us in a positive direction. As ones who are to be salt and light in a needy world, how does God want us to use our words? Well, let's begin by looking at the biblical text for this morning's sermon. It comes from Psalm 1914, the final verse we read in the responsive reading together. Psalm 19 is composed of two poems by the psalmist who is humbled as he reflects on God's revelation of himself. In verses 1 to 6, the writer reflects on the magnitude of who God is as seen in the created order. The heavens declare the glory of God, he says. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Then in verses 7 to 14, he reflects on the effects of God's revelation of himself in the instructions and commands that he gave in the law. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple, after which the writer continues to list other benefits that are the result of the law that God has given. This recognition by the psalmist of how God has revealed himself in the giving of the law and in creation has an impact upon him that causes him to respond with a prayer. His prayer is that his words and his thoughts should in every way be a pleasure to God. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You see, he wanted his life, his words and his thoughts to be shaped by this understanding of who God was and what that meant for his life. That brings us to today. You and I have even a greater cause to utter a similar prayer regarding our thoughts and our words. Think about what God through Jesus Christ has done for us. Think about the salvation he has made possible. Think about the blessings that we experience every day as his children. Because of this experience of God's grace in our lives through Jesus Christ, it's appropriate that we utter a similar kind of prayer. Words, words, words. Given the prayer of this scripture, what attention will we give to our words? Well, I think we must start by recognizing the power of words. It is abundantly clear that both the characters and the writers of the Old and New Testament understood the power of words. Go to the creation account of Genesis 1. Do you recall how the account of each day's creation begins? In essence, it begins, and God said, let there be, 
And there was. The biblical account is that God spoke into existence the world in which we exist and all that inhabits it. You recall Jacob's stealing of the firstborn's blessing from Esau. With his mother's help, Jacob schemed to deceive his father Isaac into thinking he was Esau. Well, having achieved that deception, Isaac gave him the blessing. But when Esau came and discovered that Jacob had received the blessing, do you recall what he said? Haven't you received a haven't you received a blessing for me? Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. And the scripture records that Esau wept aloud. You see, the Old Testament thinking was that once a word was spoken, it was like an arrow shot from a bow. It could not be reclaimed or recalled. Having been spoken, it had the power of its own fulfillment. That's why Isaac couldn't recall the blessing he'd given to Jacob and why Esau had to put up with what was left over. In the New Testament, we find Jesus drawing the little children to him and it says that he blessed them. And then the very last thing that Jesus did as he was ascending into heaven, the scripture says he blessed those who were his followers. <coughs> As words were perceived to have power in that day and time, they continue to have power today. Once words are spoken, they cannot be taken back. So given the power of our words, I want to use the remainder of our time together thinking about how we as believers are to use those words. Our words can be used to affect good, they, to be the instruments of healing, and encouragement and of growth at the same time our words can be used to wound to mislead and to destroy words 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 how will we use the power of our words as we live from day to day well let me start by focusing on the destructive power of words in my work with individuals as a pastor and a professor and a counselor, I've observed the destructive power of words. I think of those individuals whose lives have been adversely affected and shaped by what significant persons in their lives have said to them either as children and sometimes even as adults. Things like, you'll never amount to anything. Can't you do anything right? or when receiving a grade of A minus, a parental response of, well, why didn't you get an A? Implying that anything less than perfect is not enough. And then there is that matter of using names and words to describe and label a person. Dumb, ugly, a clutch, misfit, or some form of prejudicial label because of one's racial, ethnic, or cultural background. Those words may seem harmless to the individual speaking them, but that is not the case. Those words influence and shape the person's self-perception and impact virtually everything about their lives. I'm currently working with two individuals who are not members of our church, but who are in their 70s, and they are seeking to overcome the impact of negative words that were said to them as children, and in one case, negative words that were said to her throughout her marriage. Yet in each of these situations, the person who was the target of those negative words was one who was created in the image of God, was one for whom Christ died, one who is loved by him unconditionally, and one who has worth and value because of that fact. But you see, it's so very difficult to help such a person to replace that kind of negativity and self-perception with a new image and a new understanding of oneself that's more in keeping with God's purpose and intent for the individual. Think about the destructive effect of gossiping, speaking negatively of others, or using sarcasm and ridicule to demean. But you know what? When we do that, 
we reveal something about ourselves. Those words come from our heart, and they reveal our value system, and they reveal our attitudes. One translation put it like this. Jesus said, whatever is in your heart determines what you say. As one writer said, our words echo the beat of our hearts. Bill Leonard, the emeritus professor of Baptist studies and church history at Wake Forest University Divinity School, in an article writes about what he calls the meanness of this moment in America. He quotes from the New York Times in which a editor, Timothy Egan, writes, the United States is becoming a mean country. Tribalism and the corrosive hatreds that go with it has always been just below the surface in the risky experiment of our multi-ethnic democracy. Of late, it has surfaced in many of our daily interactions and accounts for much of the meanness of this moment. Leonard goes on to say, what about the church? In answering that question, he cites incidents that seem to affirm that the number of mean churches is increasing, and as a consequence, some longtime church members are leaving the church for good because of that. But you know what? Churches only reflect the nature of those who make up the congregation. Words from the book of James apply here. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. What a terrible stain on our witness as believers if what Leonard suggests about the church is, in fact, becoming the case. And then there is the political environment in which we find ourselves. A prominent cable news community commentator is quoted in a national magazine as saying, you are required to say things that everyone knows aren't true, but you're punished if you don't say them. So, for this individual, truth no longer is the determining factor in his broadcasting, whether it is the matter of what he believes his hearers want to hear. Put that alongside a statement in a new book by retired General Stanley McChrystal, who was the leader of the U.S. Military Joint Special Operations Command. He says the biggest threat America must face down is, in his opinion, neither the Taliban nor a global pandemic. It is, he says, disinformation. He says the hidden threat of deception is not just that people will believe the wrong thing, but they will start to think the wrong way. Disinformation has the potential and the power of weapons of mass destruction, he says. The internet, emails, social media allow believers at times to participate in this meanness and deception. Because it seems a bit anonymous, some individuals will say things there that they would never say in person, or they will make political comments that are totally inappropriate. In so doing, their words reflect negatively upon themselves as believers and likely upon their Christian witness for those who know them and follow them in these electronic means. Perhaps a question we need to ask ourselves is, in what way are we using our faith to shape our politics and our words, or is our politics in reality shaping our faith and our words. As we live in an environment where words are constantly and continuously being used in negative, destructive, and often misleading ways, my fear and my concern is that we as believers will gradually begin to take on the standards of society and that we will be conformed to those standards rather than being persons who have been transformed by our Lord Jesus Christ, who calls us to live in contrast to the world and by an entirely different set of standards. Words, words, words. 
How will we use our words as potential instruments of destruction, as ones that damage another's life as well as one's witness, as words that lead others astray, or will we use them as evidence of God's transforming power on our lives? The psalmist said, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Well, in the same way that words can be destructive, they can also be constructive. Here again, that first verse in our responsive reading. A word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Isn't that a beautiful and picturesque description? Let's think about some of the ways in which our words can be constructive. Words have the power to bless. Peter in his first epistle writes, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit the blessing. Many years ago I read a little book written by a former professor of mine who later became a mentor and finally my boss. And the book is a chapter entitled, Ministry is Blessing. In that chapter, I was confronted about the power of blessing, of speaking words of affirmation, of encouragement, and sometimes words of confrontation that are spoken in a caring way. I know about the power of those types of words. You see, I received some of them from him, and I have been blessed because of them. And throughout the years since reading that book, I've tried to practice using those ways of speaking in a way of blessing others. The author relates a story of a young minister who was bright and capable, but whose ministry was scarred by his criticism and sarcasm. When confronted with this, he acknowledged that that was indeed the case, but he didn't know what to do about it. So the author suggested that he intentionally affirm three people every day. Later, the young man reported that affirming three people a day had been the most difficult discipline in his life, but it had changed his ministry, and it had changed his marriage as well. For those of us who are married, how would our marriages be changed if every day we found one, two, or three things about our spouse with we would want to affirm? But what about practicing that with your best friend? You see, words not only have the power to bless, but they also have the power to transform and to heal. I've sat with a group of ministry students, generally in some type of circle, circle, who have been together for a few months, and they've had an opportunity to get to know one another at some depth, at a level that revealed both their strengths as well as their growing edges, those places in their lives and ministry where growth and change would be beneficial. I've watched and listened as those men and women have gone around the circle and have offered their perspective in regard to uh, the strengths that the individual has as well as areas in which growth might be beneficial for them. And I've had the privilege then of watching those students begin to change and to become more affirming of their strengths to acknowledge their growing edges, and to begin to grow and mature into more effective persons in ministry. As a pastoral counselor, I've had the privilege of working with individuals as they begin to see themselves in a new and more positive light, to forgive themselves for things from the past, and to begin to achieve their potential as persons. Part of the way that happened was through them reading some books that address particular issues that they were dealing with. A very powerful book is David Seaman's book, Healing for Damaged Emotions. It has made a significant difference in many people's lives. Another part of the way that has happened was through my reflecting back to them a perception that was different and more positive than they had of themselves at that point. And a further way that happened was through the Holy Spirit. Working through all these means to help the person become more of what God intended for them to be. You see, words can be the tool of the Spirit. He uses it 
to change a person's life. I imagine that most of us here struggle at times to share our faith or to be a witness. We may feel that our words are inadequate. We may somehow be afraid that we won't do it right. We may have attempted to share a word of witness in the past, and we've not seen any results of that, and so we're reluctant to try again. Well, if you fall in any of those categories, I want you to know your words still have the power to make a difference. In my first pastorate out of seminary, there was a man named Max whose wife and children were active in the church. When we had visitation, someone almost always would go to visit Max. He was a believer. His membership was in another church. And for whatever reason, he just didn't attend with his wife and children. When we went to visit him, he was as pleasant as could be. And while he remained noncommittal about attending, he always indicated we were welcome to come back. Well, early during the time I was pastor, we had a revival meeting. As I recall, there was something special about the speaker that kind of enticed Max to come to one of the services. Well, when the invitation time came, it was obvious Max was struggling. Finally, towards the end of the hymn, he came forward and rededicated his life and moved his membership. It was a joyful night in this small Baptist church in this small town where everybody knew everybody else. But here's the part I most want you to hear. In a meeting after that, Max shared what it was like when the church people came to visit. From all outward appearances, we were not making any headway. But Max reported that each time somebody came, it was like heaping red-hot coals on his heart. Every time folks visited, he felt under conviction, knowing what he needed to do. Until finally he came on that evening of the revival and made a public decision. So here's the point. I'm a strong believer in the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. As people were faithful in visiting Max, the Holy Spirit was at work in Max's life in a way we could not observe. And in due time, Max responded. Do you see how our words can be constructive? Constructive in blessing others and helping others to experience transformation and healing and using our words to help a person come to salvation or to a new renewed relationship with the Lord. The Holy Spirit can work in each of these situations and he can use you and your words and me and my words as his instrument in making a difference in the lives of others. Words, words, words. How will we use our words in such a way that the Spirit can use them to make a difference in the lives of others? Words are powerful. They can be used in all sorts of destructive and detrimental ways. But if we cooperate with the Spirit, our words can be a tool that God can use to touch, to heal, and to change a person's life for good. The psalmist, having observed God's revelation in creation and in the law, was so moved with gratitude that he prayed, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Because of our experience of the Lord's work in our lives, May we too be so moved that we make that prayer our prayer and may it shape the way we live our lives and how we use our words. Will you pray with me? Father, sometimes we just are not aware of how you want to use us. May you have spoken to us this morning about this one way in which you desire to use us. And now as we come to this time of the invitation, we prayed for your spirit to be present. We trust that has been the case. And as your spirit has been at work in individual lives, 
any person needing to respond, may you guide them to do so as your spirit directs. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand and sing an invitation hymn. I don't know what your need is. I don't know how the Spirit may have been dealing with you. But if you need to respond, to come and join the church, rededicate your life, make a personal commitment to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, this is your opportunity to do so. I'll be at the front. I'll be glad to meet you. seated. You want to go ahead or you want me to? <clears throat> Thank you, Dr. Wanaker. You always inspire and challenge us. There are a lot of sign-up sheets out in the main lobby as well as in the breezeway. <clears throat> Those are there because we encourage you to sign up for the small group studies, which will begin on Wednesday, February 9th. That will be a week from this Wednesday at 4 o'clock. You'll see them listed on the inside of the bulletin, and there's also an insert with more information about each one of them. We look forward to kicking this off. We had to pause. You'll recall back in March of 2020 when we paused for the virus. <clears throat> These will be repeated, and we encourage you to participate in one of those. Also, there's a men's breakfast sign-up. This will be your last time to sign up for the breakfast men, which will be on Tuesday morning at 8, and Casey Voss will be the speaker. That's a change from the speaker we announced earlier, but Casey will be the speaker for this, this month. After Dr. Honecker comes and introduces us to our new member that made a decision to join us this morning, I would ask that Nita Cates, who is chairperson of our personnel committee, come. She has a presentation. So if you would introduce our new member first. It's my privilege. Sarah, would you come and join me, please? This is Sarah Clark. She comes this morning on Statement of Faith to be a part of our congregation. I assume that you all are going to be affirming of that, so if you would agree with that, would you say aye, please? Aye. Thank you. Nobody's going to say no. <laughs> so we're glad to have you. All right. Uh, Carol, she's in Carol Wood's class. Carol will stand with her, when, and then we're going to invite you to come around and greet these folks. You've become of our, part of our church family. Yes. You will be a blessing to us, and hopefully we'll be a blessing to you. you. We delight in you coming. Thank you. Maybe you want to have a seat until this other part is done. <laughs> okay. While Nita is coming, your giving statements are mailed, and you should be receiving them tomorrow. Nita? 
it is my pleasure on behalf of the personnel committee and our church to recognize you, Dr. Horniker, for 15 years of service as the Minister of Counseling at First Baptist Church. Dr. Horniker is certified as a fellow in the American Association of Pastoral Counselors. We're blessed to have someone who has pastored churches, served as a professor and as the director of the Doctor of Ministry program at the Golden Gate Baptist Theological Seminary and who has vast experience and knowledge in counseling. There's much more on his resume, but we don't have time to go over everything. <laughs> Dr. Horniker conducted close to 350 counseling sessions in 2021. He counsels individuals, couples, families in a myriad of life issues, plus he leads a grief counsel session and caregiver group sessions. Those who have been blessed by his ministry are people from this church as well as individuals outside of our church. Very few churches offer a counseling ministry. First Baptist Church has this unique opportunity to minister to hurting individuals in a way that reinforces their faith and trust in our Lord. Dr. Horniker, if you would join me. We thank you for 15 years of serving our church in this valuable ministry. Thank you. standing, if you would, for our closing prayer. Casey Ross. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you at the conclusion of this service, Lord, and we have a heart full of thanks. Lord, we thank you that we have a church that preaches the word. And God, we thank you that we have the church that worships you as well. And this morning, Lord, we thank you for the importance of words. God, I pray now that as we speak to each other, that our words be kind, that they be uplifting. And God, I pray that as we speak, we can also share the Holy Spirit with those around us. Through the Holy Spirit, Father, we can, sell, we can share our Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, above all, we pray that our words to you in prayer may be glorifying, may be honoring, may be grateful, Lord, and may be pleasing to you. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Yeah. <laughs>